Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Track in the Storm podcast. My name is Brandon. That's Matt. We are back with you. We apologize for last week. Um, we had a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, I unfortunately had a passing in my family, and Matt, I know had some personal stuff going on too. Yeah, so I also, I also had a family member pass away. So yeah, yeah I didn't. Been a tough couple of weeks for Brandon and I. But, um, <laughs> Seriously, I this didn't want podcast to is still up. guaranteed to have more energy than the Carolina Hurricanes at even strength right now. Got him. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, well, you know, in that light, we. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm tired of being all that negative. We are going to talk about the last few games just a little bit, but we did decide to go ahead and just bring somebody on to uh, give us something a little less depressing to talk about. So we do have an interview with Austin Brass of Smarts. <laughs> I about said Smart Scouting of Smart Scouting. We're going to play that in just a few minutes. Um, get a little read on the 2023 NHL draft class. Uh, of which I know about Connor Bedard. Uh, anyway, that's good. Let's talk about the Canes just a little bit, and I'm going to start with the positives here, and that's that. Despite the fact that they've lost eight of the last ten, I believe. Yeah, it's not good. They have banked four additional overtime points, so they're not that far off. Despite the fact that they are not playing well, like at all. I mean, they don't look right. The offense is not clicking whatsoever. The power play did finally knock a couple home against Boston, but otherwise has been absolutely absolutely lethargic. There's just not a whole lot of good to take away outside of Pyotr Kochekov. Yeah, he's been great. One other positive thing we can definitely talk about here because Kochekov has been awesome. And the stats don't really back it up. They kind of did against Boston because he made 38 freaking saves against a team we know is super deadly. Like they're, the best team in the league right now, um, the best record anyway, and, and probably are the best team. And Kochekov, I mean, he made a handful of fantastic saves against Arizona. He made what probably would be getting talked about a lot more. It still is getting talked about a lot, but it was one of the best saves I've ever seen. I, I was actually in the building for it, which was really cool. I feel like I'm never in the building for big moments like that, so I got to actually see that. Big moments in a 4 nothing loss. Yeah, and of course, yes. But then it comes in a four nothing loss, so it's like, okay, well, right. How much can you really take away from that? Right, and and but and you know that's that's the other thing that I, I tweeted about this. It, it kind of irked me. It's like 
it's a one nothing hockey game. The dude makes an all world freaking save, like just absurd diving, desperation stick save, save of the year. Like pro- mm-hmm. probably will end up being a momentum. What should have been a momentum stealing save ended up not doing anything. Where's the response from that? Like, where is the lift in saying, holy shit, okay, guys, let's do something here. Like, this kid, this kid, 22-year-old, barely, what, 23 now, maybe, I don't know, barely speaks any English, doesn't really speak any English, busting his ass, fighting for his life back there, and then, like, right after that save, they lose, like, four net front battles and give up two more goals. And it's just, like, even those were second and third opportunities. And, and just, it's coming down to battle. The battle level is not there. The intensity is not there. The hard work's not there. That is the most concerning part to me. You get in hockey, you get in ruts at times. Like that's hockey. You're going to have bad stretches of play. The Hurricanes are certainly in one right now. But the lethargic play and not being able to win a simple box out, like little stuff like that, is it, it's it's really discouraging. Um, I mean that that's what it would that's really what the Arizona game came down to to me because the Hurricanes got chances, but the second and third ones, a majority of the time, Arizona won the box outs. So they got the puck out of their own end. They took shots from the point. On the other hand, Kochekov made the first save. Usually made the second save, and then the third time, the defenseman, whoever it was, still hasn't cleared the front of the net. The guy just hacks and whacks until it finally gets past the kid. Like, you you got to be better than that, man. Yeah, so there's there's a few things that I want to touch on about that game and just trends that I've noticed from this season regardless of what game it was. Um so first the Hurricanes have lost so many battles in front of the net this year. And I hate to say this Half of them have been Brent Burns. Burns is struggling, especially in his Burns own. has struggled, and I, I made this comment the other night. For as many points as he has, he's been responsible for about double the goals against. And that's a concern because, yeah, we knew he wasn't going to be great defensively. But when he's giving up that much, we're almost worse off like and the power play wasn't clicking for the for the longest time he made a great play today i'm not gonna lie he made a great play today on the power play goal didn't get an assist on it but absolutely was crucial for why the canes were able to score on that first power play this probably isn't getting out till sunday by the way that's fine so he made a great play on friday's game that's right, because we, we play Calgary on Saturday. Great. He made a great play against the Bruins for the first power play goal. Awesome. But you look at the Arizona game, and I, I think at least I know for a fact one of the goals was he just didn't tie up the man in front. It may have been two as well. Wouldn't have surprised me. But, like, you look at that, that's been frustrating because, again, like you said, Piotr was playing out of his mind in both games, and yet he has zero support. And he's had zero support really since before the Minnesota game. The Minnesota game was the last time we've scored at even strength. And the Hurricanes, Piotr has been great 
for every game he's played in this year. Seriously, great. He's been their best goalie. Yeah, he's the been three. the best he's... goalie they've had this year. Absolutely. And, and to, he's been so good that now people are like, can we really send him back? And I responded to somebody today. I said, you know, I don't know. If they send him down. Let me throw in. I asked win. this question a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> right. yeah. I was kind of joking when I said it, but I was like, Joe's going to end up being this goalies, this team's goalie by January. I short sold him. <laughs> right. I mean, he's looked great. The yeah. only reason why I could see them sending him down is if they want to roll, if Anderson gets back, does really well, and they want to, they want Piotr to play and not sit in the press box. I would get that, you know? But at, at this point in time, when Freddie gets back, it needs to be like a split probably. And, I mean, hopefully the Hurricanes are going to start playing better in front of him, which would be, you know. <laughs> Once they do, they have a really freaking good goalie right now. Yeah. Like, they're wasting really good opportunities to win hockey games because he's giving them a hell of a chance every night. So some other – just like two other things I think that I can touch on real quick is, you know, Piotr's well, been really well, good. Before you do. Let's let, let us just mention real quick also that he did just sign a four year extension. I think that's yes, that's right, that's right. He did. <laughs> we haven't we haven't met since that happened. It was literally like yesterday. But um, really happy about that move. It's yeah, a great move. Uh, you got him at two million for the few the next few years. Goalies are a little silly, and you never really know what to expect from them. But that's a very low financial risk with a massive potential payout. Nothing to hate about the deal, other than the fact that it takes him into free agency, but or you know, unrestricted free agency. But it buys it buys one UFA year, but that's fine. Right. Take that for a goalie because four years will let you know whether or not he's a starter or a backup at this league. Absolutely, I think with with Piotr, the the biggest thing too is you get him at a fair AAV now, because if he continues to play like this throughout the year and he does take the starter job, he could have demanded three, maybe $4 million. And the Canes may not have wanted, again, it might've been the Alex Nazelkovic situation where they really don't want to pay that for a goalie that's unproven. And I think this is a smart way to do it where the Hurricanes are like, all right, we like what we're seeing now. We're going to give you some term, but a lower AAV. And then the next time he's going to be what? 24, 28, or no, 27 or 28 by the time the, his deal ends. I think he's 23, right? I, I can't remember. He's 23, but I think he turns 24 he might, this year. Right. He might turn 24. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that aspect. So yeah, he was a summer. double overager when he was drafted. So this right. summer he turns 24? I, I think so, yeah. That's, that's Okay, so the next summer after his contract expires, he'll be 28. So yeah, that's in, well in June, he doesn't turn so not until the season's over. So, like, as that's what I'm saying, but like by the time he's signing his next contract, he'll be 28, more than likely, right. he'll be 28. Yeah, or by the time the next season's starting, at least, right? And that's enough time to be like, all right, you know, if he's worth that, you know, long term deal, we can give it to him, you yeah. know, and he's still got a Cause, chance because if he's going to be 28, if you want to give him a seven or eight long, year long deal, he's going to be 35, 36 by the end of that deal. Right, like that's still. Goalies are still you, I mean, you, know, you won't be scared to give him like he. You won't be scared away of giving him a big one last payday. Then, so it works out for both parties. Yeah, it's it's it really is the perfect contract for the Hurricanes right now. Um, the power play did get going. That's exciting. Kokaniemi got a goal, and I think that's going to start getting him going. I thought he played 
he, he showed signs earlier than that that I, I thought were like really encouraging. He had a really big hit. I think it was on Zach Clifton or somebody. I can't remember exactly who, but he laid a big hit in the corner. And I was like, okay, that's the kind of thing we need to see from KK more. He needs yeah. to start being a north south. I don't expect him to be a super physical guy that's going to be checking guys through the glass. But if he shows a little bit of an edge, plays a solid two-way game and makes the right simple play, his numbers are going to get better and he's going to contribute to this team. I he hasn't done that. He hasn't been doing that for a while. Um, but that yeah. was that was a good sign to see him get physical early on and then get rewarded with a goal. Uh, I, I hope that's a big sign of things to come for him. And Jarvis got a point too, which is a big deal. The power, the second power play unit got their first goal of the season today, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, it I is, didn't know that. Good lord! It is a positive sign. Do they finally get going? I think that's going to happen. Um, another big thing is I think you're missing the Canes are missing Tavo Teravainen right now on both sides of the puck. He brings a lot to the table defensively that really doesn't get noticed. And he's obviously one of the better seam passers on this team. And I think that's sorely missing from the power play right now. Absolutely. He wasn't at his game when he was healthy, but I think when Tavo's on his game, he makes everybody around him better. And once he gets back, I think you are going to notice changes in this team because he, he's never been a very loud player, but he's so good. Um, so that's that's a thing where I'm like, if they can just get him healthy, we'll be fine. The power play will start to improve. And then you've got um, Max Pacioretty hopefully coming back within the next month or two. Um, that'll be a huge addition for the team regardless both on the power play and at even strength. He might even get some PK time. I think he's a pretty solid defensive forward as well. It really depends on how his legs are at the start of the year. They're probably going to – it would not surprise me, and I'm just going to say this now because I know Kane Sweater is going to bitch about it when we get to this point. It would not surprise me if Pacioretty starts playing on, like, the fourth line to ease him back into the lineup, get him to play, like, you know, 10 minutes – so that he's not, you know, overexerting himself and then slowly increase his ice time so as to not re-aggravate the injury. So I think that, like, his impact in the lineup may be a little lessened at first, but it'll be better for the Canes in the long run because they'll allow it'll allow for him to stay healthy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. I don't expect to see him on the PK, and I also don't expect him i think he might start lower in the lineup but i'm not i could see him like starting with jordan stall i actually think that could work kind of well because they're both big bodies that kind of play again a north south game obviously patrick really really skilled but he's still a kind of a hard-nosed player that i think could actually work well with a guy like stall that's going to create a lot of space for him and, and get on the you know offensive zone grind um i would be surprised to see him starting with like well, hell, who even is, you know, Derek Stepan and <laughs> those guys? Maybe, maybe. But I, I think I think he slots in pretty quickly because the Hurricanes, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, it, it probably also kind of depends on where they're at, but they <laughs> they might be looking to looking to him for uh, for quite a bit of a spark when the time comes. We'll see. It's, it's still a long ways off, although it does seem like things have progressed nicely. But anyway. 
Yeah. So we'll that's see. at least like there there are good things on the horizon for the team. There are some good things like Kachekov happening for the team right now. I'd say the penalty kill for the most part has gotten better. Hasn't been great lately. Um, yeah. And you know, I think the perfect example was in today's game when the Bruins scored on a power play in overtime. Um Yes, the Canes scored two power play goals in that game. My point is going to be that the Hurricanes have had that opportunity, that same opportunity, at least two or three other times this season, just in overtime games. And the Hurricanes have failed to capitalize. And that's what's separating Boston from the Hurricanes right now, is Boston's power play is able to give them that goal that they need to win the games or to tie the game in a clutch situation. And Carolinas has fallen flat on its face on multiple occasions. They had a five on three against Arizona and could not do anything with it. And yes, they're generating chances, but those chances are bad when nobody's in front of the net. And that's another issue that I don't even want to get into right now. That nobody's getting in front of the net. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Um, well, yeah, offense still an issue. I, I think we've covered just about everything here. Matt, you want to go ahead and get to the uh, get to the interview and get out of here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm going to be honest. We don't want to sit here and be negative the whole time. All right. Um, so I guess that's what we'll do. We are going to go to our interview with Austin Brass of Smart Scouting, talking about the 2023 draft rankings. Um, but first, it's been a minute. So I almost forgot, <laughs> but tracking the storm is a proud part of the hockey podcast network. So you know what that means? We got to take just a minute. Get away from my friends over at DraftKings. Hockey fans, your chance is here to light the lamp this winter with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. New customers can bet just $5 on the pregame money line on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. If that wasn't enough excitement, you can turn small bets into bigger payouts with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more for your shot at an even bigger payout. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes of wherever you get our podcast for important details. All right, guys, we are here with Austin Brass of Smot Scouting. He's going to talk about his 2023 draft rankings. Matt's going to probably talk to him a little bit, too. And I'm just here so I don't get fined. Um, so you guys can go ahead and take it away. <laughs> and uh, Brandon, you're doing a hell of a job of just being here. I just want you to know. Well, I just don't have that much to input on this right now, to be totally honest with you. So, hey, yeah, I'll, it's I'll early conversation. It's, <laughs> it's November American, and I'd like to add real Thanksgiving just ended. Yeah. Um, to all our Canadian listeners, your Thanksgiving happens in October, and that's not cool. <laughs> um, but we, we're here to talk about Smart Scouting's rankings, which just dropped. Obviously, Austin has had a much bigger part in Smart Scouting than I have this year. Um, and Austin, a lot of folks probably don't know this. Austin and I did a podcast last year called Smart Talk, and uh, I, I miss talking to him dearly. So I'm glad we're able to chat a little bit tonight. 
Oh, there's no uh, worse feeling than it's, it feels like a breakup, Matt. It's just like <laughs> I, I miss talking to you like the weekly. Like, what are we going to talk about this week? Uh, I'm <laughs> no. just happy you're like, hey, Austin, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, thank God. It was just like an ex-girlfriend just calling you being like, <laughs> like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, yes, about time. So, yeah, it's I, that one final hookup. <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, never mind folks sorry that's it's it's edit, already edit, gotten edit, weird. Edit. <laughs> it's already gotten weird <laughs> don't make more work for me okay i'm here to keep you guys in check oh, no but honestly uh matt matt's a very smart mind in the prospect world and um you know i had a great time when we talked to marcus and zach and all of our different uh segments that josh let us have last year so um it, it's a pleasure to be on with you here well, Austin, let's let's dive right into the rankings then. I don't think there's any surprise that Connor Bedard was first overall, but I want to talk about the kind of debate that's forming or at least, you know, popping up here and there between Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. Obviously, both are top tier centers in this year's draft. Um and even Leo Carlson and it, we've got oddly enough three really good centers in the top 3 of this ranking here. Um but what have you seen from Bedard that's maybe separated him from Fantilli? Or what have you seen from Fantilli that's maybe bringing him closer to Bedard? I think Bedard and Fantilli are neck and neck. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think uh, what makes Bedard um, so special is his shot generation statistics. I mean, he's one of the greatest at getting his shot off, getting into dangerous areas to get a shot, changing the um, angles of his shot, his shot locations from there is no guessing of where Connor is going to pull it in from, keep it out wide, take one or two steps or an inner step in and just launch a shot in. It's got great philosophy, great accuracy. Um, And he also he's a great passer. I mean, it's a secondary aspect of his game right now, but I think it's... um, it's not to be ignored. Um, you know, I've been trying to get a lot more into microset uh, statistics and, you know, doing, I, I've got about a, a data set of about 95 players, about 63 forwards. And, you know, Bedard's one of the best in terms of offensive transitions that in the entire data set, uh, right with there in, uh, with Andrew Cristal or Cristal, Crystal, excuse me, uh, in the CHL. Um, so, you know, Bedard, but the problems with Bedard for me, and I, I'll speak only for me, not for the entire smart scouting uh, staff. Uh, one, he's undersized, which we is not a, a big concern for me. As we start talking about the rankings, size doesn't really matter, but he he really only plays uh, center from a, a faceoff position. He plays wing a lot in terms of the, uh, the defensive zone responsibilities he at, at Regina, he's really being asked to just carry the offensive workload. So he's not being asked to do a lot uh, defensively. So if you're saying like, hey, it's uh, we have a 125 point WHL center, I would say you probably have a 125 point winner right now who's being asked to just score as many points as possible. And he is phenomenal at it. Um, Fantilli, on the other hand, I would say he's bigger, he's faster, um, he's better defensively. I would say where we're debating is how great is the offensive difference between Bedard and Fantilli to make up the number one spot. Um, Fantilli, don't get me wrong, he has a ton of skill. Uh, his micro, micro stats on my data set are very good, um, but they're not uh, generational. So like Mackie Samuskevich is doing a lot for that line still. 
um, which makes it a very, very, very good offensive centerman who is a great 200-foot offensive centerman versus a generational score um, when I look at Fantilli and Bedard. And I know that's a long answer, Matt, but it's really the the best way to describe it is that Bedard's going to you're, – you're pretty much betting on Bedard's scoring versus Fantilli's uh, 200-foot game. So are we kind of looking at, like, to a lesser extent, like the McDavid versus Eichel debate? I would – I would say yes, but with two caveats. One, Eichel wasn't that defensively responsible. And two, Eichel didn't have the uh, supporting cast that Fantilli has on his line. So like nine times out of ten, Fantilli has Dylan Duke, who was a third-round pick by the Lightning, Mm -hmm. uh, Mackie Samuskevich, a first-round pick by the Panthers, and either Luke Hughes or Seamus Casey on the back end, where – you Seems know, uh, Evan Rodriguez, which was an undrafted free agent for the Buffalo Sabres, uh, was dra- uh, Jack Eichel's best linemate. And I mean, Rodriguez, you know, it's kind of funny that he's turned into a actually pretty good, like, third line player at the NHL level. But um, yeah, Eichel definitely <laughs> did not have that support. And just from what I've seen from Bedard this year, you know, he's playing incredibly i'd even say exceptionally well on a horrible team i i want to i want to know how many i don't know off the top of my head how many goals his team has scored this year but he has to be involved in at least 40 percent of them because his team just does not score if he's not on the ice yeah so and that's a great number to bring up too matt is 40 percent involvement rate especially in the chl junior ranks is uh an elite level like um matthew Matt Barzell was almost over 50% that year. And that what made him such a great steal uh, for the new New York Islanders. And yeah, he's way over that. I mean, truthfully, it's like the the only caveat I would put to what you just said, Matt was Tanner. Howe does a lot of the heavy lifting defensively. Sure. And he's a 2025 or, or excuse me, 2024 uh, draft pick. So, you know, offensively Connor Bernard is a generational player. There's no denying it. Yeah, like um, it's just what do you want Connor Bedard to be is going to be the biggest question, you know. Like when people say Connor McDavid doesn't play defense and things like that, um, you know that might happen with Connor Bedard, but I don't see a world where he's not putting up points in in, in the NHL. So I want to move a little bit, um, just a bit further down the list and talk about Zach Benson, our boy here for a sec, because a lot of lists in the public sphere have ranked Benson as the second or as the third best forward to come out of the WHL this year behind Braden Yeager. But Smot has him at number four overall. Um, and I mean, I could talk a little bit about Jaeger if you'd like, because um, I know that I, I've watched both players this year. Um, but that's kind of where I want to pivot to next, if that's cool with you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when it comes to Zach Benson, uh, I'll keep it brief and I'm going to kick it over to you because you've watched a lot of the WHL the last two years, Matt. So um, I would say for Benson, the two biggest uh, caveats to him is that he's uber involved in transition for Winnipeg. Um, Like, honestly, um, he is right below... Uh, Crystal, Crystal, and and, and um, 
Bedard for in offensive zone involvement, which meaning that like when the puck's leaving the off our defensive zone on a, someone's stick or entering the offensive zone on someone's stick, Zach Benson has a uh, a role in making sure that that's a controlled entry. He's just under fifty percent, like forty nine point eight percent. Like he is fantastic. Like that that's fantastic numbers. His success is fantastic and almost seventy percent. He is a fantastic playmaker. He's one of the best defensive forwards uh, I've tracked in terms of being able to take uh, pucks away, defending the blue lines. Uh, Zach Benson is a 200-foot player who, honestly, if you're debating Zach Benson at this point, you're debating whether or not uh, he has any more upside because he's so good at what he is maximizing right now. Um, when it comes to Braden Yeager, I just debate whether or not he's a center. That's really my biggest debate right now because while he lines up to take a center and a faceoff, uh, Jagger Furcus is running everything uh, in the two games I've tracked, in the four games I've watched. Um, Furcus, or Furcus is running a lot of it, and Yeager is very king. He can go invisible for a little bit. When like I thought Ben Jordan on our uh, smart team did a great job of kind of like highlighting the positives of Jaeger is when he flashes, he flashes high end skill, just an elite shot. Um, the ability to move pucks around the offensive zone. Um, but when it comes to, when we talk about disappearance a lot, uh, especially when I talk a lot about disappearance, I talk a lot about it because it just means you're not involved in the neutral zone and in uh defensive zones exits, because that means you're just not a part or you're not, you're not engaged enough to get close enough to support the defenseman or a winner. And that's kind of like facilitating the puck up the ice. When Jaeger gets the puck, he's fantastic, has great skill, but I just don't see him so much as a center the way he's playing right now with Moose Jaw. With Jaeger, he doesn't drive the play. He just relies on his shot, um, which he might be one of the best shooters, like pure goal scorers in this draft class because when Jaeger gets his shot off, it's insane. He's such a good shooter. And that alone could could get, get him to the NHL. He has, you know, the skating that maybe um, Benson doesn't have. He's a little bigger than Benson um, as well. But for me, I don't see a player that's active in transition. I don't see him working hard every shift. And I haven't really seen any tangible growth between this between last season and this season. And that's been a common um, issue with some scouts. Um, For me, when I look at Zach Benson, I see a player that is working his ass off every shift. Um, Benson outworked any player, regardless of whether they were on his line or on the opposition every single game last year. He's everywhere on the ice and he makes up for maybe an average skating speed and stride with just a fantastic work ethic. And I think that is going to carry him further than maybe it should because he's going to work harder than everybody else. And then he has that offensive skill, the hockey sense that makes him truly a potentially elite talent in this draft. I agree. And the only thing I would add to this is like Jaeger is supposed to be one of the high-end players on Moose Shaw this year. And uh, Benson is still on a stacked Winnipeg team. Yes. And uh, Jaeger has been involved in 19.5% of offensive transitions, while Benson's been involved in 42%, which is a 
I and to give like some context to that data, it, while it's two times more, it what it says is that Jaeger's playing a third, like a passenger role on the Moose Jaw line, where Benson on one of the most sacked teams in the WHL is playing either the most involved player in the transition. If when he's playing with uh, Matthew Savoy and when he's playing with Connor McClendon, he's kind of playing second fiddle, but it's very close. Like he's almost the, the line driver for that as well. The The next two players I want to talk about are two USA players. Um, and actually I believe there are first Americans. Yeah. Cause Fantilli's a Canadian. Um, and I think actually, I think, you know, I think Perron's a Canadian too, isn't he? Yep. Yeah, so I want to talk about players that are playing in North in, in the United States this year. Jaden Perron and Gavin Brindley, who we have ranked eighth and ninth, um, respectively. These are players that I think were uh, that the smart staff is a lot higher on. Um, so if you could just talk briefly about those two guys. So if you go to my Twitter feed tonight, uh, I I followed Gavin Brindley around for the the Harvard game. Like Gavin Brindley was amazing tonight, and. Uh, I'll talk a lot about him in general right now, but like, just go watch those clips. Um, Perron and, and Brindley are very similar and a little bit different at the same time. They're undersized. The, the reason why they're being um, undervalued in the mainstream, I would say, is because of their size. I believe they're about 5'9", 5'10", respectively. Um, Perron plays the wing. Brindley plays center. Uh, Perron plays for Chicago Seal in the USHL. Brindley plays for University of Michigan in the NCAA uh, Jaden Perron, if there was not a Andrew Crystal, there would be uh, he would probably be the premier playmaker in this. Uh, and Jordan said just as much in his draft breakdown on smart scouting. Um, Jaden Perron is fantastic at resetting, making sure there's controlled entries and exits. But there is no one who is better at facilitating passes to dangerous areas of the ice than Jane Perron in this entire draft cat class. Um, it's the I would say when I watch him play, it's what he thinks about most. Like when I watch Jane Perron, he, all he thinks about is how do I get the puck to a dangerous area of the ice for one of my teammates to score? And he just drills past there. It gets completed. And like one of the things I, I said to Jordan at least was like, it, he'll, there'll be two defenders there. I'll be like, how does this pass get through? It gets through there constantly through seven games. Uh, it's it's There hasn't been a moment where I've been like, how is he going to get a pass through there? Um, with Brindley, it, he is the um, an undersized center. Um, one of the things I look for uh, most in centers is just how do you transport the puck up the ice? How do you support your defensive defenseman in the defensive zone to get the puck up the ice he's one of the best at that um he gets the puck through the middle of the ice better than just about anyone in this entire draft class in terms of shot generation but even if you watch the clips that i posted tonight and he gets he just passes the puck in the offensive zone uh just exactly he doesn't make the wrong play he makes the right play every single time um he gets the puck uh cross ice to slot areas down low to up high um I think what hurts both of them is this, their size and physicality and two-way play. But like in terms of offensive ability and honestly, both of their two-way abilities are fantastic. They deserve to be in the top 10. So I want to talk about one more player for like, that's maybe a surprise on this list. Um, and then you could highlight some other players that maybe you just, the last few that you'd like to touch on. But the the final player that I have for you 
is a player called Dalibor Dvorsky, who we ranked 19th at SMOT. And that is a lot lower than probably most people have him at this point. Um, and I know his stock has fallen lately, but if you want to talk about maybe what the debate was in the rankings meeting for that uh, ranking. You know this, Matt. Uh, you uh, you and I and uh, Jordan are not European scouts. So when it comes to the rankings of how this works at SMART is I have a very deep data set. I watch a lot of North Americans. And then when the Europeans kind of hit the rankings list from the European side of the house, I put them on my like watch list for the last two weeks before the rankings call. And then I kind of like try and slot them into where I would put them in the North American aspect. When Dalibor Dvorsky kind of came onto my screen, um, I knew him from last year's international tournaments and I was very excited. And I was like, hey, this kid could be maybe a top 10 pick. He had offensive skill I was really excited about. He got scoring ability that I thought maybe could translate to the NHL. I was like, I'm interested to see where our, our scouts put him. And our European scouts had a very wide range for where he was going to be. So when I looked at him for what he's done post Halenka, um, he's not doing a lot five on five. And that's probably the best way to put it is he is a uh, passenger player in transition. He is not doing much in terms of what he's known for is a shot. He can, he's a great goal scorer and he's not putting himself in off puck or on puck when he has the puck on a stick um, into goal scoring opportunities. Um and, you know, uh, the running joke, I would say, would be, like, he's a little bit boring to watch. Like, you know, he, he there's not much going on until he gets a power play, and then all of a sudden he becomes, oh, Dalvor Dvorsky again. So he's a guy who has a lot of uh, runway to move up, um, but from the player he's been for the first couple months of the season, we just felt that, you know, he, he's right at the end of the lottery uh, early or late teens, early 20s kind of player. Just from hearing everybody talk about Dvorsky, it didn't really seem like anybody was that excited to talk about him, much less watch him. It kind of seemed like this was a player that we all really just didn't enjoy. Um, Austin, the problem with Scott, you know this, Matt, the problem with ranking is that there are players that we liked at a certain point in time that we have to get over prior biases or prior uh viewings i I, you're you have been the one who've always taught to me like go into every viewing like you've never seen the player right so it's like darren york when he was on the podcast said that and i thought that was like a fascinating way to look at things is like forget everything you know about a player every time you go to watch it and you won't have biases it's great you won't make excuses for what they're doing why they're doing it because you're watching them for the first place Hi, Brandon. <laughs> Sorry. I, want, I just want to say something. Right, of course. No, I'm just saying, and that's how I feel. You know, Jordan has made, uh, Jordan Millette has made a great point throughout this ranking process when me and him talk is that forget about the name on the back of the jersey. Forget about the hype they've had. What are they doing right now? And that's kind of been our ma- mantra at SMART has been, what are they doing right now compared to the entire draft class? compared to where their birthday is, what their position is, everything else is going on. Forget about the hype 
that's come into them uh, to this draft class with them, which is probably why we're lower on Matt Vemishkov than 99% of the public scouting ranks, you know, uh, why we're lower on Dvorsky, why we're lower on Wood, why we're lower on Stramel, you know, like there's a lot of reasons. We just forgot about what came into this season and said, what are they doing in the last three months? So, the last real question that I have for you then, are there, are there any players that you feel like we've omitted that maybe deserve an explanation that folks can come to and be like, oh, that makes sense? Because we all know that everybody online is entirely rational and will agree with you as soon as you say something. You know, one of the things I appreciate about our scouting public agency is is that all of us come um, to the table with... Um, Different different philosophies is the best way to put it. You know, um, there's not a singular philosophy to smart scouting. Um, I think one of the things that if I could generalize and if if Josh would allow me right now to generalize about smart scouting is that we value kind of like, what are you doing right now? And also... What role are you playing as a forward or defenseman? So, like, when I look at our rankings, if I were to generalize them right now, is that forward lines in the NHL usually have two puck-dominant forwards who are going to get the puck out of in transition, and then the third passenger player, which determines whether that's a scoring line or whether that's a checking line, right? So, like, you know, um, if... If I look at the Buffalo Sabres, man, I'm sorry. I know this is a Carolina Hurricanes podcast, but uh, if you allow me for a second, like if I look at the Buffalo Sabres lineup, if I say that like Victor uh, uh, Asplund, Rasmus Asplund is our third passenger forward, that's our our checking line. If I say Victor Olsen is our third passenger forward, that's a scoring line. You know, like I look at Matthew Wood in the same sense, you know, like, Matthew Wood is struggling with his skating ability to be a productive member of the UConn lines as a transition player. He's not getting, helping the puck get out of the zone. He's not helping the puck get in the zone. But when the puck is in the zone, he's a fantastic offensive talent, has great skill with his hands, has a great shot. Um, so if you're looking at like a, your third person on a line to be an offensive scoring option, for a top six, Matthew Wood might be worth that option. But if you're not a team that has like four transitional forwards that fit in your top six to hit that, is Matthew Wood worth Matthew Wood worth drafting at that position? You know what I mean? Yeah. Similarly, it's like Kobe Barlow. It's another one that we have ranked lower. Like he is not a puck dominant player right now. He is an F1 four checker. He has a great shot but he's not doing much in the neutral zone. So what I would view him as is a great middle six kind of third line player or third player passenger to those lines. And I feel like there's 32 players above him, whether they're forwards or defensemen that could play that position. If you have a team that is looking for like, Hey, what we need is a Kobe Barlow and F1 four checker that's going to be able to put in some goals and that's like what's missing from our team two to three years from now, go for it. But it's not what I value when I'm ranking a player in North America. So it's like, 
you know, those are the two most common players I've seen us uh, uh, get criticism for. No actual analysis from the people, just LOL, Wood is missing. Well, similarly, like Gavin Brindley to me is like the most undervalued player in the NHL draft right now. Like him and Jaden Perron are the two, but Brindley more so because he's a center. Like that kid can get the puck from the defensive zone through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. He is responsible defensively. Hell, he took a penalty today for charging for hitting that five foot nine. Um, He is getting pucks to the dangerous parts of the area passing. He gets there with a shot. He is everything you would possibly want from a middle six center. And he's constantly being ranked from the twenties to the early second round. Like that kid to me is, is a top 10 pick with the potential to be like a second line center, which to me, if you're talking a second line center, who's defensively responsible, has the offensive ability to transition the puck and give you offensive output. Like, I don't know in any draft where you wouldn't put him in the top 10, let alone the 2023 draft, which is effing loaded through the front seven here. Yeah. To me, the front, the top seven are easily Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Benson, Mitchkov, Chalet, Kristal. Those seven should be the top seven on everyone's list. And after that, that eight to 19 range can fluctuate. But, you know, what you're looking for at that point, if you're looking for that type of player, this draft through the, the top 19 is going to be loaded. Where it's weak is, is defensemen who are, have that two-way ability. Yeah. You're kind of picking and choosing in the defenseman range of like, what do you want from a defenseman? Yeah, there's there's a lot of offense first defensemen in this draft class and not a lot else. I won't lie. <laughs> but Austin, undersized think... defensemen too. Like that's the other yes. problem. Is Most that of a lot of people look at range. size for defensemen. There's a lot of five, ten, five, eleven defensemen who are fantastic offensively. Um, even some that are really good defensively that are 5'11", 5'10", that's going to, it's going to be tough for an NHL team to swing on them. Yeah. Well, Austin, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Uh, this is your chance to let the people know where they can find you, what you've got going on. Maybe if you have a profile that you want to plug real quick. Um, smart. S-M-A-H-T, smart, like a Boston accent. I will never be able to say it. Matt Matt always did the intro for that podcast because <laughs> I could never do it. Um, so smart scouting. Um, smart talk is where uh, our, our podcast is live for, uh, just for um, NHL draft. Um, we just released our rankings recently. So if you go to Bmaster716, B-M-A-S-T-E-R-716, um, it's in my pinned um tweets right there you can see our top 32 and honorable mentions that's right and once again that is smart scouting like the boston accent you can find austin bmaster 716 austin thank you very much for coming on matt. We miss you and we appreciate you brandon and matt always always a pleasure thank you for having me And we're back. And we're back. Thanks again to Austin Brass for coming on the podcast. Austin, I miss you dearly. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed that uh, segment. 
Things are tough right now. The Hurricanes are going through a funk, and it has not been the start to the season that I think a lot of people were expecting. This is still a team that I believe is in a playoff spot, though. And despite their struggles, you know, there are some positives. I urge you just to sit back, remember the positives, go outside, touch some grass if you have to, just enjoy what we have going on and folks truly it is a great time to be a Carolina Hurricanes fan despite what they're saying 